And I was like, you know what, if I can never run again, I'm still really happy with like how everything went the entire time I was chasing the dream of like being a pro runner, but actually I was living the dream the whole time. Hey everybody, welcome to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. I'm Noah Girati, joined as always by my co-host Stu Neustadt, who's grinning at me on the other side of the screen right now because I keep messing up this intro. But anyway, I'm staying on track. We're getting down to business right now. A few items of business here before Stu introduces today's guest. First of all, if you'd like to support this podcast, there's a few ways to do it. One, you can leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. Two, you can tell a friend about it. Just get the word out. That really helps. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can find a link to our Venmo account in the show notes. You can stay up to date with everything we have and check out our merch store at d3glorydays.com. As you're listening to this, we have launched a limited time only t-shirt in our merch store it's a quote from one of our favorite quotes from our college coach what do you think this is d1 so go ahead and check that out in the merch store right now available for only a few days we recently launched a, a side project we're calling the double it's a youtube interview series you can check out our first episode where we talk to a few of the guys and the head coach from john carroll university that's up right now there's a link to that in the show notes um, also check us out on social. We're, we're everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Strava. Links to that is down below as well. Um, if you'd like to inquire about sponsorship, you can reach out at d3glorydays at gmail.com. All right. That's all the business stuff. Stu, who is joining us today? Yeah, today, arguably one of our most influential Twitter followers as he has given us the idea of not one, but two episodes so it's finally time for him to get his own episode, and that is Charlie Morcourt. Charlie graduated from Haverford College in 2016. During his time under Tom Donnelly, he secured five All-American awards in track, one in cross country. Most importantly, he has three different top six D3 times of all time in the mile, the 3K, and the 1500. Out of all of that, the underlying story for Charlie was his pursuit to break four minutes in the mile. He set out as a high school senior with the goal of breaking four by the time he graduated college. He even printed out a goal sheet that showed where he should be after each year. He wasn't able to quite get there in college, but pursued it after college and finally, on August 3rd, 2018, Charlie broke four for the first time. He gets into that and much, much more. We thought he was such an insightful guest and brought a lot of insight to his journey. Yeah, Charlie was def definitely an inspirational guest and just somebody who dedicated themselves to the pursuit of a goal, not only over their four years of college, but in the few years after that as well. So we hope you guys enjoy listening to this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Uh, sit back, relax, and here's Charlie Marquardt. All right, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. We're live in the studio with a live studio audience for the first time. 
Today, we're joined by Charlie Marquardt of Haverford College. Charlie had an extensive career at Haverford under Tom Donnelly. He continued to run post-collegiately. We'll get into that here, but Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm a longtime listener, and I'm really excited to be on the show. Longtime listener, first-time caller. We'll love to see it. <laughs> to get things started here, as you know, as a longtime listener, we want to hear your backstory as to how you got to Haverford. I know you're from California, from a pretty predominant program too, right? Loyola High School? Yeah. Yeah. So how, you know, take us through your high school career then, you know, how, what was your progression like? You ended up with some pretty quick times. So how did you end up at Haverford? Um, well, so to start at the beginning, I guess at, um, at Loyola, I didn't do cross country my freshman year. I did, I went, I like tried out for speech and debate first semester I was there and didn't really like it. Um, went out for track in the spring and was kind of just, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I it was just running. It was something I could do. Um, in like middle school, I was like, you know, always at the front of the mile when the class did it. Um, so I knew it was something I was like kind of good at. Um, but, you know, I made a lot of friends there and I kind of started to get pretty good and, um, you know, enjoy it. And my sophomore year, I was trying to compete for first spot on the varsity team. Uh, didn't get it. Uh, junior rolled around and I improved a lot more over the summer and, you know, only my second full summer of training. And I finally made varsity that year and we won the California Division II state championships and actually qualified for NXN, which was a really cool experience. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And that's actually where um, I first heard of Haverford was that was in the year 2010 when Haverford won their cross country uh, national title. And so, you know, I, I've been having more success at running. I was starting to look at colleges and my mom is from the East coast and she still has a bunch of friends over there. And I think her, one of her old college roommates showed her like an article, like, Oh, look at this, like this little, little arts college. They just won their, um, the division three championship. He, he should go check that out. They sound like a really, sounds like a really great school. And I didn't really know too much about it at the time, but I was going to go look at some colleges on the East coast that summer anyway. So I put it on my list and I got to Haverford and I, I, I think it was, it was one of the later schools on the, you know, the big list of schools I was looking at just chronologically. And at the point I was kind of just, you know, I looked at that, I looked at that, that's, this is okay. But I got to Haverford and I met Tom and it was just, it was great. He, instantly connected um just I felt like that was like this is a place that I know I can both as a school um looks wonderful looks great looks like everything I want in a school um and also Tom as a coach just the perfect guy for me to be able to continue to pursue uh you know what I want to do when you were looking at schools how important was the cross-country program or I mean the running program in general to your you know in your search criteria um, it was, you know, it was important. I think anyone who enjoys running and wants to run in college, it's a valid thing to be able to want to do. You know, you don't want to go to middle of nowhere school um, just because it has like a great, you know, science program, but there's no track program. That's, it'd be valid if you didn't want to go there um, because it doesn't have something that you enjoy. Um, but it's just, it was important. I wanted to be um, with a good coach on a good team. The most important thing for me was I wanted to like know that I could like kind of contribute right away. You know, I didn't want to go to Oregon because I wasn't going to be able to probably even make the team there at the time. But I also wanted to, you know, be able to race at the, you know, 
like I, I was concerned that if I went to like a bigger D1 school, like a lot of um, the people at, um, at my school went to, they would, I, you know, maybe might not make the travel team the first time. And I would just be like, oh, I'm just doing these, I'm not even traveling to meets. I'm not getting to compete with all my, you know, all the competition that I think that could make me great. Um, I was kind of concerned about that. And I think in retrospect, I would, was probably going to get there anyway. Um, but that just made me think like, I like the very kind of small atmosphere at Haverford and the care that Tom puts into every one of his athletes. Um, and so that you, really struck me. Were you getting any interest from division one coaches because you graduated with some pretty decent um, track PRs? Yeah. My junior year was, you know, kind of, it was pretty middle of the road. I think I'm like 431 and then 9, 9, 926 by the end of the season, um, which is, you know, it's good. But yeah, like I was doing the things where I kind of just like, I emailed a coach and they kind of said like, thanks for reaching out. Like here's a PDF of the thing that the times that we usually like to see for people who walk on or, or get scholarships and, you know, kind of canned messages, but it was nice. They responded. Loyola and Cal have, uh, you know, Tony Sandoval at the time was the coach there. And so his coach, uh, him and Mark, my coach, Lola Diaz, um, they had a great relationship, you know, guys like David Torrance, Mark Matuzak, um, gone, had gone through there. Um, a bunch of others have since. Um, and so I was, I was looking at Cal, but I was still kind of concerned also that like, cause that's a huge university. And I've kind of heard horror stories of like, just, I couldn't get that class or like, I'm failing like this class. Cause I can't get to the professor. All I get is the TA. And so that kind of made me like kind of look at smaller schools, but ultimately no real school was kind of like no bigger school is really that uh, interested in me. I guess, and because as I had a, a much better senior year compared to my junior year. Yeah, you ended up running 909 for the 3200. And that is kind of after, as you mentioned, Haverford had won a national title. And then in 2011, they were runners up. You know, how excited were you that, oh, I ran 909, pretty confident I can be a contributor to a pretty dominant program at the time and still is? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really excited. That was my whole, I mean, we still had a really good team because I think it was like second, first, second, second um, at the time, or I guess it was, it was like second, first, second. And then my freshman year was the other time he got second. Um, so I, I knew I was going to be in a bunch of guys who were much better at me at, at longer distance cross country, but I was just hoping like, oh man, it'd be awesome. I can make varsity that season. Like that'd be the great goal. Um, for cross country and I did make uh, I'm was varsity and conference team I ran the regional championship and but I we rested Jordan Schillett at regionals and he ran nationals he was a great runner he you know and he did pretty well at nationals and I don't think as well as he wanted it to but uh, better than I would have run um, but so I was the alternate nationals because I was the seventh guy at regionals um, and it was still fun to go on the trip as a freshman and I consider that season success I I broke 26 was what, what I wanted to do and uh, I was really excited for track. I think a lot of division three athletes tend to st stay like pretty close to home for school. You know, like I, I was like 45 minutes away from where I grew up. Stu didn't, was a couple hours away from where he grew up. Um, you went to the other side of the country. How was that transition for you? Was it difficult at all to be so far from home or did you know that that's what you wanted? No, it wasn't that difficult. Um, I, I think I was kind of just ready to handle it. Um, I, I really didn't care where I wanted, where, you know, I would have been fine in 
the Northwest, the, you know, Southern California, the Northeast, wherever, um, wasn't too uh, important to me, the location. I thought it was kind of fun to live somewhere else, you know, get some, get some seasons, some different seasons. Yeah. What was that first fall like with the team and being a freshman, you know, how well did they take care of you guys and, and kind of embrace you as part of the program? It you know, a lot of the guys on the team, they were just, it was really cool just like looking up to them and like at that because at that time Jordan had broken 14 um in the 5k which was really cool um a lot of other guys you know the the seniors at the time Peter Kissin he ended up having a really good season that year I uh, was an all-american uh, outdoors and in cross country and it, I don't know, it was, like yeah looking back at it, it was just those are such fun times um the team culture was just great it was a lot of fun um a lot of guys really succeeding I think it was great because you also had a lot of guys who you really like didn't like were kind of like really breaking out at the time. Um, the guy who was our, uh, who kind of like beat me for that last spot at nationals, he, um, David Rosa, he was really like, that was his huge breakout year. Like he really was not a good runner at all in high school. And then just like got got a Tom, like was training more, was running more and just completely unexpected, like, killer cross-country season like ran out of his mind the last two races um and so it was just really cool being around those guys and knowing that like I could be that good someday and, like that was something I grew up in you know it was kind of the same my high school team where I had these guys like JP Slater who ran like a you know a 65 and a half marathon um and obviously Elias Gedeon who was a great runner in high school ran great at Adam State is still running right now and you know you look up to those guys who are you know three years or one year your senior um, and just see how good they are. And I think I've always kind of just been like, I'm only a couple years away from that. So um, it was cool to be just just working with them and, and working out with them and chasing that. How did your training load change that first year of college? I mean, you'd, you'd improved a lot in your senior year of high school, still a relatively new runner. And then you're thrown into a pretty successful collegiate uh, system that first year um how yeah what did your what were the differences in your training and how did you adapt to it I think it's actually really interesting I it's almost like I did less training my freshman year because when I was in high school we we would double um most days just like you know basically Monday through Thursday were doubles and then Friday was sometimes a double sometimes a single Saturdays was a race for a longer run and then Sundays was off so I guess one thing that changed was I was running every day instead of taking one day off, but I also didn't double most days. Like I would double on, on, uh, Sundays just because I had the time, but I was kind of just like taking the weekdays just to kind of focus on finding my routine of being a student in college and, um, adjusting to different, you know, a different coach, different workouts. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's, it's definitely important. I think for the, as a, the health of a student is to, find the rhythm that works for you, you know, find the studying routines that work for you and keep the long-term progress in mind, you know, in terms of building up mileage. I didn't, I, I didn't really track mileage in high school, but I uh, started tracking mileage in college. And my best guess is in high school, I did like 50 to 60 maybe um, by the end of it. And in college I was doing like about the same, but mostly just in singles and more just like eight mile runs um almost every day um instead of like little like 45 45 doubles or something like that but then it was 
I started doubling more, uh, started doubling again my sophomore year. I started doubling more consistently my junior year and senior year I was super consistent with my doubles. Um, so that's kind of how that progressed. What is the minimum distance that you will split into two runs? It really depends. The I'll do like a, if I'm really taking it easy, I'll do like a, like a four, four double. Okay. If I'm, if I'm, that's like, that's like the day before a meet where the first one is just to stay in my routine of waking up in the morning. And the second one is to just like, is to do the pre-meet, you know, go out, do some strides. I'd say that's just barely on the line of acceptable. We yeah. we had a teammate in college who did a, a three four double. He split he split uh, seven and there, and this was not before a race. This was just like a normal day of training. And I this was like ten years ago. I never forgot it. <laughs> my my second to last and third to last days of training at Haverford um, were both three three doubles. The, the final three days it was a three three double a three three double. And then a, a 1500 at Princeton. Um, so those are my my last three days, and they were very short runs. Is that a Tom Donnelly special, or is that uh, that was you? that was no, that was just like listen, the haze in the barn, like just do it. Just there's not a whole lot to do, so just go. We have we have the nature trail around Haverford, so I just I did a trail in the morning, I did yeah. a trail in the afternoon. Yeah, kind of on the lines of, of Tom Donnelly, kind of back to what you're talking about, looking for a good coach and a good program. You know, how much background did you have on Tom and his training methods and the and the guys that he coached to really fast miles? Yeah, um, I didn't really know too much about his like you know philosophy, like what kind of workouts he would give me. I just knew that I read that like New York Times profile on him. That was from I guess one or two years beforehand, where he just sent like a great coach who you know knows his athletes and I knew he had coached Marcus and, and Sydney Marie um who were both great runners um I actually I had no clue like how crazy Sydney Marie's like career was just like he was so fast and like I hear Tom give like tell will tell me like that's one of the really cool things about working with a guy like Tom is he'll give me um you know he'll give me a workout and then after the workout he'll tell me back in 1997 Marcus and Carl did this exact same workout and they were splitting 63s and 62s. And today you just split 64. So like you're in really good shape right now. Um, and like hearing some of the work that he had Sydney do unbelievable. Um, and that was only after the fact, but it's, I just knew that like he was capable of coaching these really, really incredible guys um, while also being able to like see them as a college student and um, understand that like in a, in a, you know, the, the physical, the mental and the emotional way of like, of, of being a college student and like be able to work, you know, work that with the training. Hereford's obviously a great school academically and, you know, you're coming from the West coast, you're adjusting to being a college student and then you make your national meet your freshman year in track in the mile, you know, how is that balance coming from you know a different coast and all of a sudden now you're thrown into the national meet where in cross you know you probably you went as an alternate but now it's like your time to run yeah um that was a lot of fun I was really uh excited for that because I I was the last one I think and up until like the last day or two I was really I was like right on the bubble I was really not sure if I was going to go or not um but I was really excited because it's like one of those things where you're, you're the last guy in and you're like, you know, there's no pressure on me to like win. Like I'm just going to try to make the final and see if I can pick up an all American. If I like 
run a really good race. Um, and I think that race, that was one of the few races I ever finished at last um, was that prelim. And it was just, uh, I was kind of happy with it. I closed in like a 58, which for me at the time was good. Um, everyone else closed in a 56. So I don't know, that, that was, it, it was fun because I got to travel with a bunch of my friends. You know, we had a DMR there. Uh, Chris Stadler won the 5K. Um, Peter Kiss was also in the 5K. Our, our DMR got fourth. Um, it was it was fun to just you know travel. That was that was my my second adventure to the Midwest with my friends. Uh, going to it was at North Central that year, um, and it was a great atmosphere. And I, it made me like, oh man, I love these nationals meets. I, I want to keep on doing this. And so it made me really motivated to make nationals outdoor in the 15, which I didn't. Um, and so that was that was interesting, just because like, it, I knew like you know what I had to work on. Like I my time I think still improved a little bit, but um, compared to what I ran indoors, but I knew that I was still like a step below where I wanted to be, and so that kind of motivated me to keep working hard. And uh, you know I still wasn't at the level that I wanted to be. I thought you were going to say a minute ago that the national media opened your eyes to the fact that you love the Midwest, but I, I can't. <laughs> Midwest I I like. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I did like a shakeout in uh, Grinnell um, one year, I guess it was my senior year indoors. And I was like, man, we got these country roads that are all exactly a mile long. I, I would love to just like move out here for like a couple months, just train like an animal. That's, that sounds like a really fun way to get in shape. It's a very wholesome part of the country. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, did you consider yourself kind of a mid distance runner? you're at the beginning of career, of your career or were you still like trying to find you know your identity as a runner I was definitely more of a distance guy my freshman year at, in high school I only did 800s because that's just like I didn't know what I was doing I was like oh it's the shortest distance race I'll do it and then I was better at cross country than it was you know at the mile I did the two mile um in track and that was a slightly stronger event and then senior year I finally like got a good 16 out and I did a couple DMRs and like I started I kind of like learned how to kick more um I had some some really good kicks um in, in a couple races and I was like oh you know this is like mid distance is fun like I can do the mile and the two mile like this is fun and that's kind of what inspired me first to break four um was my coach had this book um written by um Peter or Sebco's dad Peter Co and I guess one of his other doctor friends and it had like a kind of like a long-term goal calculator. After I had some good miles my senior year, I was like, you know, I can probably try to break four in college. Let's see if I can do that. I wonder what I'll have to hit. And so I plugged it in. And the first year it said I had to hit 410. And I was like, oh, that's only six seconds faster in a race that I really have not given too much, you know, time or energy to. I can definitely find that in there. Um, so in high school, I definitely was more of a, a cross-country guy like a two mile cross country guy. And then in college, I, that was when I was finally like, okay, I can, I can be a good miler, but I know I've always been good at cross country. So I still want to, you know, also run good five Ks and maybe try to break 14 or obviously I want to be a cross country all American. I'll probably never be a cross country national champion, but I can still be up there. And I was, and at the same time, I was hoping, you know, like our team was good and I was hoping that I could lead our team to a national title, which would have been awesome. As you had that long-term goal of breaking four, how much was it on your mind during your days in college? Like, was it a constant reminder of like, hey, this is four, breaking four, or did it just come up during track season? 
Um, well, so I, I printed out like all the four years on a piece of paper, just like it was like 410, 405, four, like 4015 and 359, I think were the numbers. And I just, I printed them out, taped them somewhere in my on my wall every year. Um, and so I always kind of knew it was there, but it was, it was never really like an active thing in my mind. Cause I knew like, you know, I'm not going to run like my freshman year. I'm not going to run sub four this year or next year or the next year. I'm just going to try to run. I'm just going to have try to have a big track season. And I know what my goals are. I know what paces I'm going to try to run in workouts and what pace I'm going to try to run in races. And I kind of just like trusted, like working with Tom, like he'll be able to get me there. And were you aware of kind of like, the history of division three in terms of breaking four, because I, I mean, I guess you would have been the second person to do it. And the, the first being another Haverford alum. Yeah. Um, I was aware of that, you know, we, I had heard about Carl before coming to Haverford and there's like a little, a little plaque on a rock outside the track that says, this is where the first division three sub four mile happened. Oh, uh, cool. So, so I, I knew about that and, yeah, it was awesome. It would, it was awesome trying to like, I want to be that next guy. And then at the same time, you know, having guys like, like Paul Escher and, and Jake Campbell and, and those St. Olaf guys who are all really good, you know, really good runners. And then Jeremy um, who came up under, you know, after me was like, it, it was the goal. It was the golden age of D3 miling. I, I think my junior year outdoors was the only year in D3 where it took sub 350 to, to qualify for nationals. And that's, to my knowledge, the only time that's happened in D3. So it was it was a golden age and it was really cool to be, you know, up there at part of it. Hearing that with your aspirations of breaking four, your sophomore year, you kind of put your own mile aspirations on hold at the national meet and go for a team DMR. You also qualified and ran individually in the 3K, but what was the decision to run the DMR as opposed to go for uh, a mile? Um, I think it just, it, it was fun. You know, I, I had run a good mile that year. I ran like, I think four town flat track, um, indoors, um, mostly solo. So I knew that was a good time, but I, we, you know, the DMR was also, um, in our sights because I knew we could have a really great DMR team and we could, you know, legitimately have a shot at winning that. Um, and I had run the 12 in that DMR and I think I ran three flat. Um, that was, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of a fun race. Um, and I think having run three flat in that 12, it, it's almost like, a, you know, this is practice for breaking four. Um, and also, like, I really like the 3K. Um, 3K is actually probably my favorite event. Um, and I'm a little bummed I didn't get a, a chance to race it to the level I think I could have raced it at. Um, but, yeah, I went there, you know, we're going to do the DMR, we're going to do the 3K. That's how I can, like, do the best in two things. That's, you know, the more the merrier. Um, I knew that, like, it would have been fun to run the mile there. That was a really nice bank track. Would have been fun to run a good uh, time there at nationals and probably, you know, or hopefully be like up in the top. I knew McKenna Ramos was on fire that season. Did he run the mile there? I don't remember. Um, I think he won the 800, but I don't know, it was fun to do the DMR. I love doing the DMR. I love uh, all that team stuff. And it was really fun to compete there. And then the 3K didn't go as well as I, as I hoped it would. I was tired afterwards, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. You mentioned that 410 on a flat track, mostly solo. 
um, you know, what, what was the competition level that you were facing just kind of, kind of like the regular season meets Were you having to do, you know, a lot of like time trial ish stuff or were you in some deeper fields? It's interesting. Cause I think my freshman and my sophomore year, you know, as I'm kind of still developing, I had these guys like Chris Stadler around me, um, were, you know, guys, guys who I could still get a pretty good race out of. Um, and we had a couple of alums in the area who were, who were still in pretty good shape and they could pace us. And so there was a lot of time trialing, but we, I think Haverford is, is pretty cool in that we're, I, know, I think Tom knows how to get us into the races that we need to get in. Like we would always sort of go to Princeton for the outdoor meets. And those are always a really good, you know, that's, they're always a bunch of Ivy leagues and a bunch of good D3 schools and a handful of other random schools that send really good guys like Syracuse and stuff. Um, so there's a lot of really good running there. He knew how to get us into the, like into the races that would be best for us to kind of like have a little breakout race or just get that PR but he was also, as a team, I think we're also just good at, at setting up races when we when we need them. You know, like, like Widener is a school that's had some pretty good guys, like Chris Garrity and Ernie Batone and uh, Will McDermott, those guys who, you know, because our, our, Tom is really good friends with their coach, Vince Tui. Um, and they, you know, we kind of worked together just like, hey, we we're got this, we did a DMR together basically at um, my senior year at Haverford, just low low pressure we're just gonna get some good teams together and we're gonna try to break 10 um at this little you know little track just a couple teams in, on the field so tom tom was really good at that and um by you know come coming out of it i was a pretty good time trialer but also like i always knew that i could get in those good races and and race my way to a good time like at swat last chance it was it was really a blessing to have spot last chance in our backyard because that was always the one where things got really spicy yeah, Swarthmore always has a little reputation, reputation, I should say, of being able to run some fast times. You know, that sophomore year that we're, we're mentioning here, you know, you go from running 350 during the regular season to running 346 at Swarthmore before heading off to the national meet. You know, how was that? A, that was a, it's a pretty big jump from, you know, almost two, what is that? Yeah, 10 days from your conference meet to the last chance meet. You know, was that? was that in your wheelhouse? Did you kind of expect to run that quick? I was not expecting to run that quick. I, my whole goal that season was just to break, um, 350. And I, you know, I'd, I'd come up a little short at, uh, one of the Princeton meets and then the previous, and so the conference meet was actually at Swarthmore. Um, and I had that, that's, that was one of the, the races that I've been the most nervous for ever was the conference 15 my sophomore year against Andrew Carey. And he was on fire that year. He had run 348 and like 148 at the time, I think. And which is on fire. I was like, how am I gonna beat this guy? Cause he can run with me in the mile and he can also like definitely outkick me. Um, and so I just kind of just gunned it and tried to run as like honest of a full race as I could uh, from the front. And he got me in the last hundred, um, but I ran 350 there in you know, a way that probably wasn't ideal for running a PR. It was, it was an honest race, but it wasn't like a PR situation. Um, and so I knew I was in about 348 shape by the time SWAT rolled around. But that's why it's just like, you get, you get in the fast heat and just like, okay, hold on. Like these guys are going to run really fast. And I, I, when I saw 346, I was like, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and I was just, I was like, oh, I'm at another level now. I guess this is who I am. 
and it, it was it's interesting because like I almost wasn't ready for it because you know later that month or whatever I go to uh, nationals and get knocked out in the first round in the 15 um, and I think I I don't think I think I made a stupid move in the race um, and just got blown my doors blown off in the last 150 uh, but it's it's interesting it's like I knew I had that potential. But also it, you know, it helps you understand that you still have a lot of work to do um, before you can A, shave off those next few seconds and B, like really become a competitor on the national uh, level. Yeah, I mean, those like career redefining runs can sometimes be a double-edged sword because you are forced to see yourself differently in an immediate sense because all of a sudden your PB is just like, you know, a world away from what you thought, but then you still have to go to the next race and it's almost that pressure of having to live up to what you just this new runner you became like a week ago <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's interesting because I think I definitely struggle with that a lot you know having gone into like national meets with the top time in the in the mile 15 3k a few times and like but also as an end knowing like I have not won this race before like how do I like like just wrestling with that in my mind like I'm the best guy here but am I the best guy here I don't know like on paper I should be but in practice I'm not and just like kind of struggling with that and it definitely didn't help the struggle thinking about it a lot you know were you putting a lot of pressure on yourself I think I put a lot of pressure on myself um I was really nervous before a couple races that I really shouldn't have been that nervous for like I should have the my junior year outdoors was like the one race where I was like fully confident like I, I lined up like, I'm going to win this today. And I almost did. And, and Paul got the better of me. Um, but in the, in the years after that, I was just like, oh man, like, I know Paul can beat me. Like, I know like Jake can like, is really good. And like, like, or, oh man, like Isaac Garcia Kasani ran like a really, has like had like a really killer season. Like these guys are like so much taller than me or something. Um, and I just like kind of got in my head a little bit. Like, you know, am I the best runner here? Cause these guys are all coming up hot. Jeremy Hernandez, like, had a killer freshman season like he was right behind me at swap my senior year like oh man this kid is coming on so strong so it was a lot of mental struggling that probably did more harm than good um but you know what can you do now I kind of after that you know it was kind of nice not being too focused on that anymore and just being able to like okay I can just chase my one goal which is to break four um after I graduated and so that was I think mentally a lot easier just like knowing like just got to do one thing and it's time and which is something that I've been good at chasing. You know, a quick step back here before we get into your sub four pursuit, you you're halfway through your college career. You've run 818, 410 in the mile and 346 in the 15 yet. You don't have a national, you don't have an all American status yet. You know, was that something that, or I guess you did in the DMR, but not individually, you mm-hmm. know, was it was, when you head into your junior year and, and especially cross country where you have a strong team, is that on your mind yet going into races? Like I run fast times, but I just don't have the accolades to back it up. It, it was a little bit on my mind. You know, I obviously wanted to, you know, you like, you like to win a lot of all Americans, like in, in Tom's office, he has all American, you know, everyone who's ever been an all American or a national champion has, you know, you get the little frame certificate and he gets one too. And he hangs up on the wall. And if you go to his office and you see he get his names over and over and over again. And I guess it was a little strange kind of being at that point and be like, man, like I'm halfway through 
I've only got one up there. Um, I guess I got, you know, but there's still a lot to do. You get three chances and some of them you get multiple chances per meet. Um, so that was definitely a motivator, you know, and at that point I knew like, okay, I'm all American caliber. I know I can win these. Um, but Tom also has a wall, but one of the walls of all the walls in his office was reserved only for the all American or for the national championship certificates. So I really wanted to get up there too. Um, so that was, that was motivating me a lot, but yeah, it, it was sort of interesting not having an all American to my name. I was, I remember being especially crushed after cross my junior year, like I, cause I'd won the regional the previous week and like, it was a really good race. Um, I think I probably raced very hard at that and was a little bit empty by the time nationals came around. Um, but I, I remember being like pretty devastated that I didn't get all American there. And I was like, man, I'm like, am I, am I even a good cross country runner? And I can't do this by my junior year. You know, eventually you kind of just, you, you refocus and you use, there's nowhere to go but forward, right? Did you feel some redemption your senior year when you finished 16th and got that cross country All-American certificate? Yeah, it, it was good to get that scored away. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I knew I could do this. And even then it wasn't great because I lost to Paul and Jake. They were, because they were with me like halfway through the race and then they got away and I think they were like fifth and sixth. And I was like, I was happy I got my cross, but man, Paul and Jake are still better than me. I got to keep on getting better. <laughs> it's such a fickle thing. Like you can, you can be like on paper, you know, one of the best guys and, and then a race comes around and it just doesn't play out. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're, you know, your senior year before you get that, you know, all American certificate is just kind of a weird thing. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty weird. It's, it's the, 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 the pressure, you know, for every chance is like so big, right? It's like, you only get four chances of these ever. You keep mentioning uh, Jake and Paul from St. Olaf and mentioning that like the golden era of milers was uh, in college. How much interaction did you have with uh, top milers from other schools? I think it was after, after senior year, I had a lot of interaction with them. Um, Not a lot, but like, you know, I would like text them every once in a while or something um, after cooling down with them uh, that day in in, uh, St. Lawrence and like, they're, you know, really nice guys. And it was, it was, I think it's weird in, in one way it made it easier just like kind of being friends with them like knowing that like you know these guys are really good guys they're not like you know trying to like, like they don't like hate my guts and like want to like like run my you know run my ass off and stuff like that um but at the same time it's it's like but you also know that like they're I don't know it, it's it's weird just like knowing your competition but at the same time being sort of like nervous about it like being friends but also being a little bit nervous I don't know. That might just be like my own head. I don't know how they feel, um, how they felt about it. Well, they just know when the gun goes off, the, the friendships are put away and, and the, the, yeah. the guns come out and it's, you got to fight for it. Yeah. Towards the end of your time at Haverford in your senior year outdoors, you were gaining some pretty serious steam um, over the 1500 distance. You ran 345 and then I think you ran 343 um which 343 i mean that's that's a sub four conversion isn't it it's like a like a 401 flat ish i think is what it converted to which which puts you right on right on the schedule that you printed out yeah and and the thing is like i had been following the schedule and for the most part i had been hitting it like three around 353 freshman year which is like a 411 and the things i hit 410 so that's close 
mm -hmm. uh, software and 346, which is like a 404 high, which is 405. And then junior year was 343 high, which is about 401 high, which is about 401 and a half. And then senior year, you know, that's fine. Okay, just got to do 359.9, which was like 342.2, I think is the, the general generally accepted sub four conversion. Okay. Um, and so I'd run 345 at that Princeton meet. I'd run 343 low at that uh, last chance. And I was, you know, it was because that was an Olympic year. And so there weren't a whole lot of miles, like full miles going on at the time. There were a camp, a couple of 15s. Um, I did like an 800 at a, at a meet out at Westchester Henderson. And then there was like kind of a, a Princeton last chance um, to qualify for the Olympic trials meet. And that's where I ran 342 flat. And then, you know, that was great. I was, I was really psyched about that. I like had a, you know, had my sub four equivalent in a Haverford jersey, which is, which is really cool. And I was really happy about that. And I remember like I was cooling down and I was like, I was running next to like Gregoric and I think Colby Alexander were there. And I was like, do you guys know about any other like full miles coming up before the trials? And they're just like, no, I don't think so. You know, everyone's getting ready for the trials. Uh, no one. And those those guys are bored of breaking four at that point. That <laughs> yeah, means yeah. nothing to them. <laughs> yeah, Col Colby was on fire at the time. I remember because he was in. I think he was in A heat and I was in like, the B heat, and he like stormed that last hundred, uh, which is really cool to see. But yeah, those guys were. You know, they have they have their own. Because uh, yeah, they, you know, they're trying to make their Olympic teams, and I was just like, I just want to break four. I want to take a a two month step back there, pen relays. I mean, that was a full mile attempt Yeah. Um, that season, you know, one, how was it running at the pen relays? And then two, was that the meat circle on your calendar to really get that sub four attempt? Yeah. So I basically got two shots that year. One of them was the, um, the, when I ran four or two indoors, yeah. the ocean breeze meet. And that was where I think Robin Napolitano won that race because it, it, it was yeah it was, it was a set up to be a first sub four for a few guys it was like napolitano i think a, a dartmouth guy um and i was trying to be in there too and it was being paced and everything and that was you know tom told me like you know this is the race where you're going to try to break four and you will be in shape for that there um and i think i went out a little i was out like 158 high 159 through halfway which was Oh, probably a little too hot for me and I you know ran a little bit slower in the last I think I was like right at 3:30 at the bell and just I thought I was closing in a 29 and I was really closing in a in a 32 uh so it was tough there and I was a little like my god man like that was my only shot indoors I'm my other shots can be pen relays so I better show up there and pen relays is a lot of fun it's so amazing um like the energy there um, and like, I ran that each year, um, afterwards too. And it, it was always like, it always ended up being a good race for me. And it was always like a really fast last lap just because the energy there is like un unreal. And I, I think about the year that like Bolt came there, it was like 2009, 2010. And I was like, man, that was probably like the loudest Philadelphia would have ever been, but like even louder than like an Eagles game or something. It was like every Jamaican in the city of Philadelphia in Franklin field like watching Bolt like split sub nine on a four by one. <laughs> um, but I think it was a really fun race. And I, I think I, I didn't get out very well. Um, 
where like the pacer was like the like the pacer ended up going out too fast and I like laid off of them and so it wasn't I wasn't on um pace really but it closed well yeah it, it was disappointing not to break there knowing that like oh well there goes my other shot but I think the time was still good um and so I was really happy going into uh going to nationals like that was kind of like a like a mojo um, building race just to feel good about the other you know the other goal which is to got one more chance to win a national title how are you feeling about your chances going into that last national meet i was feeling pretty good um i was indoors i was like weirdly i mean like i said i i was often in my head a lot um and indoors i was really in my head and outdoors i was finally like okay like i can like i know i can do this i i'm just gonna sit on paul for as long as i can and just get him in the last like 150 and then it ended up not you know i was found myself in the lead i didn't push the pace as hard as i should have and like there's like a very long drawn out kick that just like didn't leave me with anything for the last 150 uh so that was a little disappointing but i ended up like being okay with it um i know that as a career you know as a whole the career was very good uh and I was, I was recently talking with Yossi Fritz Maurer, um, who was the assistant coach at Haverford at the time. And he was like a really good sort of like, you know, like he's a, the assistant coach, but he's also like your friend. Like he's the kind of mental, emotional coach too. You know, like to, you know, he'll ask you how you're feeling, stuff like that. And he, but he asked me like how many, like how many All-Americans would you trade to get one national win um or like how many positions on the d3 all-time list would you trade for like one national title and i thought about it a lot and i really think i would not change what i have i think it's really cool to have a bunch of like top 10 times in like the mile 15 3k um you know people say that records are meant to be broken um but like that doesn't necessarily happen every year and whereas you, there's always a new national champion, champion crowned every year. Um, so if you run fast enough, then maybe you'll be there on there for a really long time. Um, whereas you know the next year there's going to be a new champion. So I think I was pretty happy at the end of it, just having run some really fast times and been in some pretty exciting races. And also as a team, like we had some, some really awesome uh, team performances at conference meets and at national meets over the years um, that I was really happy about. To your point there on the, on the all-time list, you were sixth in the mile, fifth in the indoor 3K, and fifth in the outdoor 1500. So, I mean, three top six times across three different distances is a pretty cool thing to say that you've done and I was I'm glad that you kind of brought up that you know what would you trade to get a national title because you know you think you run all these really fast times and maybe some would think oh he maybe feels like you left empty-handed but really you're you know you seem like you had a pretty fulfilled career with some fast times good times with friends and now you were probably still had motivation to go break four to finally get that off your your list so what was that journey like after college to go get sub four my goal was basically I mean like everyone wants to like be a pro runner right like you want to like oh man I want to be a pro I'm gonna go to Eugene and, and and do something but at that time I was I was trying to be realistic and just like okay I'm gonna 
have a regular job. I'm going to still train with Tom. I'm going to spend, you know, two years doing this and saving money. And if I haven't done it by two years, I'll like have, well, I will have saved enough money to like, just do one full summer of like, like laser focus, like really got to do it. And I, I was hoping like, you know, I've, I've done, I've run an equivalent once, so it can't be too far off. Um, but I kept on running into the same problem, which was you really don't get that many chances at a full mile um, each year. Uh, it's just, it's not the most common distance to run, uh, outdoors at least. And Carly, can, can you explain why that is just for people who might not know? Oh yeah, so, so um, outdoors we run the 1500 mostly because it's what the rest of the world runs. It makes sense, one and a half kilometers. But inside makes more sense to run a mile, I guess. America is just really, really weird and quirky. The full miles, you know, those are usually put on in like, you know, you have a, a, the pre-classic where it's like the American track meet. And so they do a mile because everyone knows what's your mile time. Um, but then now more recently, there have been a lot more events like Sir Walter Myler um, and um, A.G. Martinez, which have been focusing exclusively on the mile and, and trying to make that a thing. And there's that whole uh, bringbackthemile.com or whatever, uh, you know, bring folks on that. So I think, I think it's fun. I still think we should run the mile and the 15, but I think there should be more miles. What did post-collegiate training look like for you? Like one, was there a sense of relief in a way that you didn't have to worry about conference and regionals and nationals? And two, just like day-to-day, -day, what was your situation like? Did you have anybody to train with or were you doing it solo now? So the first part of that question, um, you know, like mentally, I guess like it was sort of a relief and I have to, to worry about that or like have to, you know, work my schedule around that. Um, but ultimately, like I said, I didn't really think about that too much because I was just so focused on, on, uh, breaking four, but the second part of it. So I lived, um, with Eric Arnold, who was four years ahead of me and he was still like in good shape, Like he was, a he, he was like finished right behind me my junior year in a 5k. Um, so he was just in just as good 5k shape as me. Um, he was a 15 all American too for Haverford, but so I had it but we had like different, slightly different work schedules. Um, so his train got back to the apartment like like half hour before me. And so he would just go on his run after work. So I was mostly on my own. And for the first year, I was kind of figuring out just like what my schedule was. I wasn't very good at doing my morning runs. Um, and then running after work was exhausting at times. Uh, and just kind of getting back into the, you know, doing the workouts. But after a year, you know, like I, there's that first fall, it didn't go so well. I ran a pretty poor time for me at the Rothman 8K in Philadelphia as like, you know, kind of like a fake cross country season. Um, then indoors, I started to like, the time started to get a little better. And so I was like, okay. And, and had a really good pen relays, um, really exciting. I think I ran 401 there, which was a PR. Um, but yeah, it was just really hard to find full miles that I could like travel to that like weren't super far away. So that was, but I, I was still like, I was still training with Tom. I was meeting him once. I was like, I got out of work a little bit early once a week to go meet him for a workout, which usually, you know, was at the, the time with the Haverford guys. So like, for example, I would be doing like, you know, 
sets of four by 300 and he would like have some guys do numbers one two and three with me and other guys would do like numbers like one three and four with me or something like that like he was you know I, I was still in the mix there um training with tom training with the team um still doing a lot of really similar workouts like workouts i had done in the past um where i kind of could tell like okay i did this i did this workout in you know, hitting 60 seconds last year. And this, this year I hit it in, in 50, 59.5 seconds. Like I'm getting a little better. Um, so it was nice to have that sort of return to the routine. Um, just trying to keep it as similar as possible to my college days. Um, and I did find eventually as the years went by, um, I guess it was only two and a half years, but as I did get better at, you know, continuing to do my morning runs every day and doing the same workouts um, that I, you know, was like nailing in college. That was when the things kind of started clicking. And I was like, all right, I know I will break for this season because I've been doing everything right for six months now. The one thing I can't get over there, your roommate would get home 30 minutes before you and wouldn't wait. He's, he's a funny guy. Or like circle um, back. <laughs> like, <laughs> we were, so we would, we would try to do that. And, and we would sometimes, um, we would sometimes work out. Um, we would work out together. So like, so sometimes we would do a workout together. Um, if we, if we got home at the same time, but it was like, you never know with, with SEPTA, the Philly training system, like it, it could be half an hour. It could be an hour. Like you never know. And so we, I don't know, just, man, we need to get this guy a call. <laughs> <laughs> explain you <know>. yourself. <laughs> I do love making him explain himself. <laughs> no, he, he's, he's a good guy. He paced so many of my PRs uh, throughout the years. Like he, he, he's done some heroic pace jobs for Haverford, not, not just for me. Like he did a full 16 mile, like hilly trail long run, gets home, gets a call from Tom saying, hey, can you pace the first mile of this 3K at, at four, at, uh, in four minutes, 20 seconds? And he's like, I just did a 16 mile long run. I'm sorry. And so Tom hangs up and then he calls it back. He's like, and my friend calls Tom back, you know, I, I can do it if you want me to. No, don't, don't worry about it. And he comes out there, puts on spikes for the first time in a year, paces 428 exactly, and like what? doesn't cool down. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's exhausted because he's run 16 miles and then like a one mile warm up and then one mile in 428 for in spikes for the first time in a year. So you want to give him grief for, for not waiting for me, but I get it. He's, he's done more than his fair share of, of helping out the Haverford guys. So. All right. We'll give him a pass. <laughs> give him a pass. I want to hear kind of more about like the yearly progression to finally breaking four, you know, in 2017, it looks like you get down to 401. You're working a full-time job and trying to get this goal. You know, where are you at in terms of your timeline on your goal like are you getting to the point where it's like all right this summer i'm going all in or next summer it's it's all or nothing yeah and what were, uh, what were you doing for work too so, so i was working um with a, a property management company so i was basically the guy who's in charge of coordinating like maintenance and repairs and and like cleaning up apartments after someone moves out and stuff like that and you know it wasn't like too like it, it wasn't too stressful of a job but it was also like a lot of walking around Philadelphia, which on the one hand is like, you sort of don't want a physical labor job. Like it wasn't physical labor, but it was like, I would walk a mile to an apartment and like to have to like check on something and I have to walk back. Um, which on the one hand you might think 
well, that's not great if you have workout that day, but I kind of think in retrospect, like walking around just kind of, it's like free, it's free workout, you know, free fitness. Yeah, exactly. Free fitness. Um, and yeah, I think also having, when I first started doing that, I thought, you know, oh man, like having a job is counter to like being able to focus hundred percent on running. But as I kind of got into it, I was like, you know what, like having a job is like, keeps you out of your, out of your running head a lot. And it kind of helps you just live a, a more kind of whole life. You know, you come home after the day and you're, you're tired from doing work all day. And so it helps you get to sleep early, something like that. So, but onto the, you know, continuing to pursue sub four, I guess you know, the timeline had sort of like the, the progression that I had taken, you know, had gone out the window. Like I knew I just needed one more step. I just needed to get in that right race. And I just needed to find that right race while I was in shape. Like I would go to a couple, you know, again, you, it's indoor season. There are indoor races that run the full mile, but I'm not quite in shape yet. Um, but I'm running good races. The second year when I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to go up to Boston and do this race. And I take like the cheapest road to Boston and end up like, it ends up not being good for my routine. And I just like, don't feel good the day of the race and get in my head and drop out. Like, that's not great. And I, I definitely still think that I, I was still in my head a little bit at that point. Um, but it was, it was nice when things finally started to, to click a bit. And I had more confidence. Like at Adrian Martinez, I was confident. I was like a little bummed that I was in like the B heat because um, I wanted to like be in the A heat with other people who had run sub four. But I think it was almost like a blessing in disguise that I was in the B heat because that was like the only way I'm going to break four is if I'm confident in myself. And so I had, you know, I'm at 500 to go and I'm like, I have no choice but to take the lead here and like really hammer this last lap which got me to, you know, four flat point three um, and that crazy, that crazy fall. Um, yeah. But let's talk about that before we move on. I mean, <laughs> like, I think that's kind of where you got a little bit of a national spotlight because you, you know, your legs failed you in just the final meters. <laughs> and there's this great picture of you kind of nose diving into the finishing tape and just barely, barely missing going sub four, but it really like symbolized how like, bad you wanted it and that you know that yeah. feeling of like coming up agonizingly short I think that's that really like hit home with a lot of people um how yeah. did it feel for you that day um it hurt um yeah, yeah I, physically I, or physically or emotionally? physically it hurt I had to like yeah. <laughs> I had to like I couldn't sleep on like the shoulder that I fell on for a couple oh. days it, it was just it was raw but um yeah, I, I think it's it's strange how you know it, it works out that way that you try so hard and you come so close and like like that gets noticed in a you know dramatic falling um, fashion that like people can like relate to because it's you know it, it's interesting like you you know there's I mean, I don't like like so like I follow like pro baseball but I don't like follow minor league baseball and I'm sure there's hundreds if not thousands of guys in the minor leagues who are dying to like you know get good and get called up to play pro baseball. And there's just like, you don't hear too much about that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just every once in a while, something you, you get lucky and someone takes an amazing photo of you that like captures this like really dramatic amount of passion. And that gets noticed because um, what's his name? Darren Ravel was there and he 
took a video of it and it got a bunch of retweets as well. I think I was on SportsCenter not top 10, but because um, it, it was on a Thursday and they did the not top 10 on the Friday. But I, I think I heard that at one point, but I haven't confirmed it because they don't keep archives of that. Anyway, they don't keep archives? I was like, damn, we got to look that up. Yeah, uh, it's probably some, you know, it's like some copyright law or I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, and so um, Yossi Fritzmauer, the old Hereford assistant coach, he said, I think he said this in like the let's run piece, like in a messed up way, it's better for your brand that you didn't break for here than if you did. Because obviously after that, you know, Kyle Merber said, oh, we'd love to have you at Long Island. And the Sir Walter guys, you know, were like, we love, like, we love all this. This is why we do Sir Walter for guys like you. Um, and I think that's really great. Um, and like, so I, I think that, you know, if, because if, I'm sure there's tons of guys that are still trying to break four. Um, it's like, you know, what's his name? Uh, Garrett O'Toole, who he ran 401 at, um, Adrian Martinez as a high schooler and he's been really good at like Princeton and Arizona state. And he still technically has not broken four minutes in the mile. And so I'm sure he's a guy out there who's, who's still trying to break four. But yeah. You, I see, you know, race like, like Oxy. So Oxy does this thing where they don't have like the A heat and the B heat. They split their heats up equally. Um, so like there's an equal caliber of guys. And I think that that races like that, would be a really cool thing to have at more meets where you're not focusing on just having like the fastest heat and the, you know, sorry, you didn't make the cut for the fastest heat. Like you want to get more comp, more people to experience more competition. I think that would be a really cool thing that, um, to happen. So it finally happens at the Sir Walter mile. Your field is super elite. You know, you have, you have Olympians, you have pros, and then there's you, the D3 guy. You know, what are you feeling when you're stepping the line and, and Lopez Lamong's there and Johnny Gagorak, Ben Blankenship, Craig Angles, you know, what do you, what, what's going through your mind? When I was doing my strides, I was like pretty nervous. I was like, oh man, like I, I feel kind of good, but like, you always want to feel great. Like you always want to feel like effortless at like mile pace. And like, you start to think about that. But as I did the kind of like, you do the stride down the straightaway as I introduce you, and you do all the high fives to everyone as you run by. And like the amount of energy there was just like, I thought pen relays was amazing. And it was, it is amazing, but this was something else. Like having them right there, like next to the track, like, you know, you're, you're hitting their hands and that with that energy, I knew I was going to be okay. Cause I knew this field was not going to dawdle. There is no one messing around in this field. I just need to hang on to the back and, uh, and just be there for the last lap and then in that last lap I, you know I was doing it I was just sitting right there I was laser focused on the guy in front of me and then like at 500 to go I'm like okay I feel I feel good I feel like I can I can hang with them this last lap those races where you you come off the final turn and you really hope that you have something but your legs are just dead and you're like shuffling along you're like there's no way I could I could possibly move my legs any faster this was the first time I did not experience that at all. I dug and it responded like completely. It was all there. And so I just like knew that entire time coming to the home straight. I think I was closing on Hassan Mead. You know, I, I had just passed like Robert Dominic and, uh, and Jacob Thompson. Um, I you know, passed those guys. And, you know, they're pro guys. Dominic wasn't pro yet. He was almost pro. And like just I was closing on an Olympian. And I, it was just so much energy that like, 
it's, it's still like a hard thing to process, you know, and I've been sort of like, like I wrote about it in my, my running log, but I kept it really short because like, you just want to like keep that feeling inside and just like, don't let it get like, like written down in one certain way. So it just like, it's just, it's so hard to describe it to how amazing it was to like, know it like in the moment, not like, you know, not like at Adrian Martinez where I'm diving, maybe I got it, maybe I didn't get it. Like I knew I had it. And so I think it was really unique to be able to experience it in that way. And the guys at Sir Walter are great and they put on an awesome meet. And I, if you were ever in North Carolina um, in August, in early August, you need to go to Sir Walter Myler. And I mean, you shattered four in that race. You didn't, you didn't dip under, you, uh, you know, you dove under, um, you ran three, 355.97. Yeah. Was that another one of those moments where you're kind of redefined in a way you weren't expecting? I mean, I'm sure if you ran 359, you would have been like, oh, that's awesome. I kind of expected yeah. that. Was 355 just kind of like a mind blown situation? Yeah, I was, I was expecting it. Maybe I can get like 358, maybe 357 high on a good, on a great day. And I was not at all expecting that when, you know, in retrospect, maybe I should have, because I ran 339 at Swarthmore the previous year, um, which was like a 357-ish. So like, I knew I, I could, like, I guess in retrospect, I knew the fitness had been there for a while. And this was just like the one race where everything kind of clicked. And I know that like, I thought a lot back to high school when I was trying to break 930 in the 32 my junior year. And I had run like 932, 931, 931. And I was getting really frustrated. And my coach said, listen, sometimes you just pop one. So just keep on going and eventually you'll pop one. And then the next race I ran 926. So it's almost the exact same thing that happened. I run 401, I won 401, I won four flat. And then I run 355. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny how that, you know, that stuff all kind of works in it's, it's circles, you know, it just happens over and over again. So, but yeah. And it was interesting, like thinking, like just thinking like I'm a 355 miler now and also trying to navigate the upcoming indoor season with that in mind, which I was like, you know, I want to be able to like, I, like, I didn't make USAs because, you know, I ran a sub four again at BU, but I didn't make USAs. I was like, I was like the first or second guy out. Um, in the mile because everyone was just running really well that year and you know that, that's the reality of it is that sometimes you run these really good times but they are sort of once in a while performances and you can't it, it is a lot of pressure to be like on all the time you know um you can't always run 355 at all your races uh and i guess mentally that's that can be tough to you know grapple with um like you you're on the line like i'm at 355 miler but I'm probably not going to run 355 this time or like eventually you, you are online and there's also 352 milers. Yeah. Um, like now, now you're in a, in a whole another field um, where everything gets, you know, incrementally faster, but like exponentially harder, you know? I talk about that with my teammates a lot of the time. It's like, you know, winning a race is like almost impossible because the better you get, the bigger, you know this the bigger field you're put into and so it's like you're a 355 miler you know now you're going to race 352 guys whereas when you were a 401 guy you're going to race 359 guys and so the bar is kind of always being raised at the yeah. same at the same speed that you're chasing it exactly and i think it's it's interesting like 
because I think I, I did finally reach like I think you can be a, a sub four miler and have a full-time job you know like and like do like normal things and all that but I do think kind of once you start to get to that like low 350s it's like okay you, you sort of gotta like go to the gym like and stuff like that and like make sure you're on top of your nutrition and like you're not just eating Trader Jozo's like 18 of them a day and stuff like that you know <laughs> um so yeah I mean it, it's tough but and like that so that the previous the following indoor season you know I really wanted to like you know I can I know I can like be a pro now like I can like my dream my like big romanticized dream is finally like in reach and then I had a good not great indoor season and then outdoors I got injured and then like life changes happened and I basically had to say like I'm still gonna run and like do races and stuff but I'm not gonna try to be like sub four competitive anymore I think I was able to accept that because I was really happy with like having had a really awesome college career and a really fun time spending two and a half years trying to break for after college. And like, I, I was like, I was on, I had like plantar, plantar fasciitis. And so I was like on a bike in the Haverford gym think I was like, you know, just dripping sweat all over this bike being miserable. Like I hate being on the bike. And I was like, you know what, if I can never run again, cause I, at the, at the point I hadn't run like two weeks. And I was like, you know what, if I can never run again, I'm still really happy with like how everything went the entire time I was chasing the dream of like being a pro runner, but actually I was living the dream the whole time, which is just being a really good runner, whether or not you're paid as, you know, as a full-time job for it. And so I think that was like a valuable lesson to have learned. And, you know, it also helps to be like, you also you get, you get really nostalgic for when you were in college and you could sort of you're sort of living a halfway in between that where you can go to a dining center and not have to like cook your own meals um, and like have all your friends with you. Um, and it just makes it all a lot easier and more fun. Um, but still like the grind of having it, of doing it on your own is, is fun too, as long as you, you know, learn to appreciate those like really hard moments and like, well, it's snowing outside, but I got to go and run 18 miles. I guess I'll do it. I mean, I just think it's such a great, inside i mean as athletes i think we're always programmed to be like okay i've achieved this what's next what's next what's next um you're, you're never like living in the moment of an attained dream and so i think to have that realization that like you know what i've i can be happy with what i've achieved and like even in hindsight to recognize that you were living the dream you know i think that's mm -hmm. a really important thing and maybe a cool lesson for people to take away from this and just try to be more mindful of where you're at and what's going on and you're running yeah it's it's definitely something i think is it like was i was really hyped about when i heard that you guys were doing this podcast like when i first started is like you know like like calling it d3 glory days it's like you know you think oh those were the glory days like oh you know it's the cheesy end of the office you know like i wish yeah, someone would okay. tell you about the good old days when you're in the good old days and like it's it's cool to like be able to have people on here like share their experiences and you, you know if, if you're currently in d3 you can think about them um yourself and like you know like i hope it makes people appreciate like their teammates more like oh man this is like we're having fun like we just went out and we did a long run and I don't know how long it was we were gone like maybe two or two and a half hours we went in to go jump over this cool creek like that's the you know and you can just feel good about like doing that it's a lot of fun and 
I think that's a lot, you know, that's kind of what's fun about running is like, I'm always going to run because the act of running is fun. You can do fun things. You can explore. You can, if you, if you like to explore, you can explore. If you like to do hard workouts and run fast, you can run fast. And I'm glad that I've kind of realized that that's what running is about for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice for people to be able to share experiences like that with other uh, runners, um, especially when they're in a situation like collegiate running, where it's like usually very, very fun. Like something that is, is, is hard to replicate outside of it, you know? Yeah. And I, and I really like your, your pin tweet on your profile right now, where it says, uh, today, my coach brought up an interesting fact. When I was a senior in high school, I wasn't even top 25 in my state for the 1600, maybe somewhere around 50th, six years re- later, I ran 24th fastest mile in the world. Keep showing up, keep working hard. It pays off. And I think that just kind of embodies your story. You know, like you have just, you, you had a goal in mind, you pr- literally printed it out and you're like, I'm going to get there. It's not yeah. going to be a constant every day. I need to do something for this goal, but eventually I will, I will get there. And I think it's just a, a really cool thing that you set out and you did it. And now yeah. it's like, Hey, I did what I wanted to do. And now I'm happy with kind of whatever comes next. And I think that's like Noah said, it's just a good lesson to hear because I think runners always want more, you know, more might not always be better. Maybe what you're doing now is good enough. Yeah. I think the, the one thing I'm going to like add is that it's, it's my third mention of UOC. Um, after I ran a three K PR, my sophomore year indoors, it was like a, we set up as a time trial. My, um, my future roommate pasted for all but the last 600. And then, uh, Chris Dadler and I had a, you know, we ran the last, you know, we gotten a good race for the last uh, 600 of it really the last 200 of it was so I almost got him but he held off and um I wrote in my log that time that you know I realized that with with a lap to go like this isn't just a time trial this is a race like I don't need to just like sit behind Chris I can beat him and so I tried to beat him um and after the race Yossi know, told me like you know a goal is just there so you have something to shoot for the way you accomplish your goal is to do your best to come up with a, is to come up with a plan and do your best to be tough and execute it. And like that really resonated with me. And so that was just my, the way I approached like all my training um, from then on is like, my goal is sub four, like that's obviously important, but I'm not going to get there unless I just do this workout. You know, that's all I got to do today. Just do this workout. Um, just execute this workout to the best of your ability. You know, if it's 10 by 460, I'm going to do, try my best to hit 60.00. I don't need to hit 58. I don't need to hit 57. And so I think that kind of just like keeps me, it kept me grounded and like, you know, just kind of focus on what you're doing in the moment. Do this workout, do it well. Like don't beat yourself up over it if it doesn't go well, but like, don't get too like high. If you knock it out of the park, just onto the next step. That's all part of the plan. Uh, and so that like is something that really resonated with me running wise um, that I think is like a pretty valuable insight. And I think it, it, you know, it ties in, I think it does tie into kind of like just running is what you, you got to enjoy it um, all the time, especially like if you're in division three college and it's a lot of fun. Awesome, Charlie. Hey man, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We really uh, enjoyed it. We're big fans of yours and it was nice to finally have you on. Yeah. Thanks. It was was nice to finally be on. Uh, Thanks for interviewing me. Some, some good questions, some good talk. Thank you.
Okay, that's all for this episode. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in. We really appreciate it. We want to thank Charlie for his time and his insightfulness um, in that conversation. Uh, I think Stu and I both took a lot out of it. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys supporting this podcast. It's grown uh, to be bigger than I think either of us ever imagined it as we stare down from our piles of money. We just want to thank the people who got us there. So please tell friends about this, like and subscribe in your podcast app, check out the merch store for that limited time only uh, t-shirt release. And we'll see you next week on D3 Glory Days.